0: You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Well, hello, if you haven't met me before, my name is Coy. I am the Associate Pastor here, and I was recently doing some research online and found a very a popular online blog, a very popular online blog, that at the end of 2019, they had this page that was set, up, set out saying, words to watch out for, for 2020. And the number one word was unpredictability. Give this man a raise, right? Like, boy, was he spot on. But then again, I looked through the blog, the other words, and some of the other words were stuff like better, Right, which was way off the mark. So don't give them a, don't give them a race. For many of us, for most of us here, actually, 2020 that just passed uh, would hardly be seen as a year that was better. You know, from, from bushfires to COVID to isolation. Uh, for many Australians, whether it uh, was be on a larger scale or whether it was a more personal scale, it was a year of great loss. Uh, for many of us, it was a year of great frustration, uh, a year of sadness, dullness anger, dread, and all these feelings mixed together generally point to a word that I think would sum up 2020 for for us, and that word is uncertainty. Uh, That feeling each and every day that we woke up not knowing what will actually happen, you know, that fear, that confusion, that grief of not knowing what the next day will hold, you know, whether what you've planned, you know, be it maybe your, your, your job security, maybe it's your wedding. Maybe it's a a family gathering. Maybe it's just simple as going to the shops. It was all made uncertain over the past year. Uh, So that blog site's number one word for 2020 was right. It certainly was an unpredictable year filled with uncertainty the moment we wake up each and every day. But then again, what year isn't? What year, month, hour, minute is in fact predictable? is in fact certain. Uh, Ancient Roman author and philosopher Pliny, the elder, famously quotes, the only certainty is that nothing is certain. Well, that and the Bombers not winning a final, right? We all know that. Again, the only certainty is that nothing is certain. Pliny said this a ways back in the first century, and 20 centuries on, it still speaks volumes to our everyday life actually maybe even more today so over the past few weeks we've been in our summer series that Luke just said of enjoying God and i think when we think of the word enjoying rarely would we associate these words with with the commonly formed that, what the word that commonly forms this description of uncertainty so rarely do we think about enjoying with words like fear confusion dread grief anxiety see the reality is that for all of us it's easier to enjoy something when everything is going well and as expected. That, that can be especially true when it comes to uh, our relationship with God. Isn't it easier to, to sing praises when things go our way? Isn't it easier to come to God in thanksgiving when we receive uh, what we want? Isn't it easier to go into his word when our day is going exactly as planned? See, I think enjoying God comes more naturally when everything is going right, when our lives are in a a season of content. But what about those seasons of uncertainty? How can we enjoy God in those hardest of times? Actually, can we even enjoy God in uncertainty? So before we unpack these questions, I want to pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together today as a church, as a family, Lord. Uh, May your words uh, be spoken today, Lord. May it be words of truth. Uh, may your words remain in my friends' hearts here, Lord. Take away any words that are of my own and make it only yours. And may the Spirit encourage us, challenge us, and convict us today uh, through your passages. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, when I was thinking through this theme of uh, enjoying God in uncertainty, I had to ask the question what is it about uncertainty that scares so many? Uh, is it the fear of the unknown? Uh, is it the challenge or inability to actually prepare? well? Uh, is it the lack of security? Maybe. And I think these are all significant reasons as to why we don't normally enjoy uncertainty. But I think one of the biggest reasons, if not the main reason for our ill feelings towards uncertainty in our lives is this, this feeling of powerlessness. That we are powerless in that future outcome, helpless in that decision being, being made about us vulnerable to, to the worst-case scenario. You know, thinking about the past year we just had as Mel- melburnians I think for me and maybe for, for some of us here today, the hardest part of our year in isolation was that every day there was a real deep sense of powerlessness, right? That I would wake up not knowing if these restrictions would worsen. I would read the news not knowing uh, what was to believe and what wasn't. Uh, that I could count the days for for when life would be normal again yet not knowing uh, when that will happen or if that will even happen. See, there was a fear of uncertainty deep-rooted in our realisation of our uh, powerlessness. And so almost instinctively, what do we do? What do we do normally? We grasp at control. One of the most popular Pinterest uh, images is this one of a nice, beautiful background, probably mountains, clouds, you know, all that, And, and the quote is, It's your life. Don't let others tell you how to live it. And here's another one that we know that sounds similar, a quote that says, only you can control your future. That was by Dr. Seuss. That's for kids. Kids are learning this. Only you can control your future. See, aren't these words like mottos for, for the 21st century living, that you are in control of your destiny. You know, it's my life. It's now or never. I ain't going to live forever. I just want to live while I'm alive. <laughs> that was from Sir John Bon Jovi. Thank you. A bit ancient for my time, but I found him. It turned him, not really, uh, I knew who he was. It tells you that while the world around you is filled with uncertainty, you should do whatever you can to control the outcomes of your life. Do this enough and this will surely happen. Avoid this enough and this will never happen. Believe this enough and make anything possible. See, in our powerlessness, we like to fight back by grasping onto any sense of power that we can. We try to grab onto what we can control. And there's a reason why famous, you know, life coaches sell out their tickets wherever they travel. You know, the promise of control in an individual's life is enticing, right? It seems natural that as people, we want to know what's going to happen in our lives. For many of us, down to the last detail, it's normal for us to want to know what's to come. You know, for some people, to a weird extreme, like my wife, who often likes to read what happens at the end of a movie or end of a series before we've even watched it. (laughs) Weird, right? The world we live in pushes out this idea that the more control we have in our everyday life, the more secure we can be in our future, the more certain we can be in life, the more life will be enjoyed. See, to the keen ear, this sounds awesome, right? Who wouldn't want a life of security? a life of certainty and enjoyment. This is enticing not to, to those just of the world, but this is enticing, enticing to Christians too. See, our temptation then is to, to maybe overcompensate our emotions, our actions and decisions into maybe some obsessive behaviour that gives us a sense of control of our lives. But have you noticed that even when we try to grasp at controlling as much as we can in our lives, so often than not, What's enough for us, what's enough for people, is that we just simply feel in control. We plan our lives to a T. We surround ourselves with people who would fit the mould of exactly what we want. We seek and believe the things, uh, all the things that, we, that are predicted, forecasted, calculated for our future. But then something comes along that completely derails our plans, a significant event a confronting person, a great loss, a pandemic. And we see that what we thought we could control was actually an illusion. See, Michael J. Fox, a man at the peak of his stardom, he was an actor in Hollywood, a man at the peak of his stardom would receive the news that he had Parkinson's disease. And he says this, he quotes this, it's all about control. Control is an illusion. No matter what university you go to, no matter what degree you hold, if your goal is to become a master of your own destiny, you have more to learn. Parkinson's is a perfect metaphor for lack of control. Every unwanted movement in my hand or arm, every twitch that I cannot anticipate or arrest is a reminder that even in the domain of my own being, I am not calling the shots. See, as people, I think what comes more naturally is that we would prefer to enjoy control in uncertainty rather than enjoy God in uncertainty. And there's a sort of presumptuousness to it all. Yet the Bible gives us a firm reminder of our human condition, of our human situation. If you turn to me to James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. James chapter 4, it says. See, the words here in James were directed at the, the wealthy, uh, the well-off at the time, uh, who were boastful, who were confident, presumptuous in their planning ways. They were certain in where they would go, uh, when they would go, how they would get there, what they would do, confident in the control they had in how they'd live their lives, with the control they thought they had. As the passage reveals, it was an illusion, that while they thought they had all the control in the world, they couldn't be certain for what tomorrow brings, that their lives were merely a mist that appears and vanishes. And it's quite a confronting and stern word here from James, and yet it speaks to all of us here today. See, we in Western society here in Australia, we really are a wealthy people when we think about it, which is probably why we, are, we have such a low, low tolerance for uncertainty. We like to plan our future and feel in control because we often have this confidence that we can. You know, we boast in having the resources, the know-how, the personnel. And this is exactly who the passage is speaking to. James is emphasizing to us the extremely short duration of life. You know, as Douglas Moo, a theologian, says, what is your life? There are so many things that could cut short our lives just as quickly as the morning sun dissipates, the mist, or as a shift in wind direction blows away smoke. It is a realistic reckoning of the brevity and uncertainty of life. And so what should we do? Again, in verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If it's the Lord's will if it's God's will, you know, if it's God's will has been somewhat, has become somewhat of like a Christian cliche nowadays, you know, sometimes, a lot of times, used incorrectly as a way to, to live in inaction and indecision, you know, the classic, hey, will you be my girlfriend mm, if, if it's God's will? <laughs> Never hear from him again. That's not a true story, by the way. It sounded a bit <laughs> close to home, but it wasn't, right? But while... You know, while heard so often, these words here in James speak a very profound truth and it's quite humbling to us. See, while James has gone at those who have this presumptuous confidence about the so-called control that they have in their own life, the plea from James is that we ought to say, if the Lord, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that in all that we do, what it's saying is this is one of dependence. In our uncertainty, when we so easily try to grasp at control, we're essentially saying that we depend on ourselves to get through. But James reminds us that we really are powerless, that our lives are a mere mist. So we ought, actually, we need to be dependent, dependent on the Lord, the one who is far from powerless, but rather the creator of The universe, the God who is sovereign, He is in control. Nothing surprises Him. There are no things out of His power, knowledge, or understanding. Colossians one says He is before all things, and Him in Him all things hold together. Theologian William Barclay says this uncertainty of life is not a cause either for fear or for inaction because of the insecurity of the future. It is a reason for accepting and realising our complete dependence on God. It has always been the mark of a serious-minded man that he made his plans in dependence on God. See, in those moments, those seasons where things are so uncertain for us, when we feel most powerless, we can be certain of the God who is powerful and we can be certain that he is the one. Who's in control of it all, not us? We ought to be dependent on God, not dependent on our own devices, not our own schemes, our own plans and predictions. You know, I think a few, I think of my life a few years ago uh, where I had made long term plans uh, as it seemed that I was for sure, it seemed very, very for sure that I was going to receive a particular role in ministry that I was set on and was going to have a long future. Everything was laid out. And it put my, and, and To my surprise, I was told right at the end, I wouldn't get it. Like when I thought I was just about to have it, I wouldn't get it. And it put my future in great uncertainty. You know, I just got married. I had no job. I was unsure. I just moved to Melbourne um, and it was was tough. Uh, Things were very uncertain. And I was unsure if uh, where we would live as a married couple. I didn't know what the next day would hold, let alone the next month. Um, we were likely looking like we had to move out where we were and just live somewhere where we could find, basically. Uh, but I knew that while I made my plans and they they didn't turn out the way that I wanted, God was still in control. I knew to depend on Him. Actually, I had to depend on Him. And about half a year on, I would uh, be be blessed with the associate role here to serve our our church here at Melbourne West. And again, that was a part of God's grace and mercy. But I knew that only God was the one that I could depend on in those moments. See, in this passage, James isn't trying to banish planning from our lives. This isn't a call for us to never plan, right? To live our lives according to my 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 hero, Dominic Toretto from the Fast and Furious series, to, to live your life a quarter mile at a time, right? <laughs> That's not what James is saying here. That would be like, imagine... If you knew that the West staff, the the Melbourne West staff, would just if you asked them, hey, what's going to happen next week? Are we in Hoyts? Uh know. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Right? <laughs> That's not what it's saying. But rather, the passage is a reminder that those who so easily detach God from the equation and, and depend on self, depend on. Uh, you know, their own self-sufficient, self-important planning and control, thinking as one writer describes them, the lords of earth and time as if there was no God in heaven, I think the first step to enjoying God in uncertainty is to surrender ourselves to him daily. Surrender ourselves to him daily. Remind ourselves of the brevity of life and submit to the life giver. Have we made peace with the fact that we're not in control of what happens? Are we able to embrace this profound submission, this humble dependence to a God who is indeed in control of it all? See, reflecting on this, I thought that while this first step to enjoying God in uncertainty sounds simple enough, Uh, I think for many of us, actually most of us, it's the hardest one to do because I think that the idea of enjoyment coming from a dependence on someone or something is is very foreign to us. Actually, it's quite counter to how we want to live. To the eyes of the world, surrender, submission, dependence, these words are not associated with enjoyment. They're seen, if anything, as weakness, power, control, certainty. These These are the words that the world tells us to enjoy and strive for, that we can and should essentially be our own lords. And I think it all stems from our hearts, which are filled with sin. I think all the way back to the very first sin where the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, their lives depended on God, surrendering to to him, trusting his every word, yet they were enticed by the serpent, Satan, to know more, deceived to gain power and self-sufficient control, ultimately disobeying their creator, and giving into their temptation, sinning, breaking the holy and perfect covenant relationship between us and our Creator. You know, since then, the deception of sin in all man's heart, in all of our hearts, is that one of self dependence and false power. That we need not depend or submit to anyone, but instead live for self, even if in an uncertain world. See, the consequence has been what we're seeing being an eternity where we get exactly that alone to ourselves with no God to depend on as we're left to succumb to our own evil. And yet, although this may be the case, see God in his sovereign wisdom, God in his divine plan, God in his good and gracious nature would send to us a saviour his son Jesus, who will redeem those who would believe and follow him, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, we can be certain this was in his sovereign plan. We can be certain that this was in God's plan as even all the way back, after the first sin, straight away, God would promise to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Jesus would indeed give the fatal blow to the serpent, redeeming humanity through his death and resurrection. Many times he would promise the saviour. God would promise the saviour to his people before Jesus had even come. Genesis 49, he promised uh, the scepter that would not depart from Judah. Second Samuel seven, he would, that he would raise an offspring of David to establish a forever kingdom. Isaiah seven, where we will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah fifty three, in the suffering servant. What these promises, all their and their fulfilment, tell us that God was indeed in control of it all. This was no surprise. And what it tells us is that our God is one who is faithful. And that he is gracious, and that he is good. First Chronicle 16 says, "Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for his mercy endures forever." To know that in oftentimes our most challenging seasons when things are, are wayward and have gone astray, when it all feels uncertain, to know that we actually don't have to depend on ourselves that we don't have to be the ones to control the situation, but rather called to commit our plans, uh, to commit our future into the hands of this God that I just described, the one who is faithful, the one who is gracious and good. I think there's a wonderful sweetness to it, a profound enjoyment to it, that we can enjoy God being God, that we can enjoy surrendering control to him because of who he is the ones totally not in control, us enjoying the very one who is in control. I think it's actually such a blessing that we don't have to depend on our own selves but that we depend on this God whose purposes are higher than ours. Who knows what is best? He knows what is best for us more than we could ever know ourselves, as it says in Romans eight twenty-eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. One writer says, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills can be a protective superstition, but they can also be the sweetest and most comfortable reassurance to a humble and trustful spirit. We first enjoy God in uncertainty, not for what we do, or not what we hope he does, but we first enjoy God in uncertainty because of who he is. See, as we reflect on who he is, it helps us to our, our next point that we enjoy God as his people. Uh, will you turn with me to Exodus chapter 13, which I'll read. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 and 18. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. See, the Israelites... Uh, God's chosen people uh, had just been delivered out of the bonds of slavery and oppression in Egypt and were on a journey to the promised land, Canaan. Uh, But in this passage, we see that while the shorter road to get to Canaan was available, the shorter road was available, God led led the Israelites through a different path. Uh, And this wasn't just a like a Westgate Bridge, Bolt Bridge kind of difference, right? God takes the Israelites literally the wrong direction, out to the desert in Mount Sinai. Uh, a what could have been 11-day journey through Philistine country became what would be, what would be a two-year journey through the desert. 11 days compared to two years. And actually that two years, if you read on and see the narrative, actually became 40 years of wandering and uncertainty for the Israelites. Imagine being an Israelite, finally being freed from the bondage of Egypt as God leads you out with the end in sight, changing course that added half a lifetime instead of just 11 days. But the passage tells us why God did this, and it's simple. They weren't ready. While the Israelites probably thought they were ready, it says that they were ready for battle, God knew otherwise. The Israelites really believed they were ready to head to their promised land, yet God had different ideas. As we explored earlier, God is sovereign. He's in control of it all. He is also faithful, good, and full of grace. And so in those moments where things aren't going so, like, aren't going so planned for us, when we think we're ready for the short path, but something comes our way that is 10 times harder, that 11 days becomes 40 years, when it all becomes a bit uncertain, I think God uses these moments for what Christian writer John Mark Comer describes as two things, teaching and testing. If we read through the Exodus narrative, we'll see in their 40-year wandering and uncertainty, God would often test his people. So in the desert with their hunger, uh, their complaints for water, the Ten Commandments uh, at Mount Sinai, all of the Israelites have thought they were, were ready for this new life in the Promised Land, but they were actually so far from it. In fact, only two, only two from the group that were actually delivered from Egypt would go on into Canaan, just two out of that community, Joshua and Caleb. So God knew his people were not ready, and he was certainly right. God was right. We would read that they failed many tests in the, that 40-year span. So for sure, had they taken the short path, that 11-day path, right in the beginning, they would have caved in the face of war and changed their minds and returned to Egypt. In fact, in Numbers, uh, Numbers 14, they said that in the 40-year wandering. Some of them said, can we go back to Egypt where they were slaves? So God, in his sovereignty, goodness, and grace, he led them not into a surefire surrender and death in Philistine country, but rather into a season of what I see as spiritual formation. See, while every long day wandering in a desert would have felt like an eternity of uncertainty for God's people, in it all, God was using it to test and teach his people, spiritually forming them as individuals and as a community, showing them what it means to be faithful to him, what it means to be a people of God. And what I love is that immediately in the following verses, we see something so beautiful and enjoyable about being about being a people of God. So if we look in verse 20 to 22, it says, And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people see for the Israelites, while in all the uncertainty of days on end, not knowing what's next, God gives them His presence as their guide. You know, ways back I went to Mexico with a mate of mine, and I remember there was a particular tourist spots around where the locals would try to sell you activities and tours, and one of the locals, to be frank looked very sketchy, uh, he reeled me and my mate in and he told us, you know, pay me 100 bucks each and i will he offered to take us around Mexico, take us around where we were. It all seemed very dodgy. So, of course, my mate and I did, uh, you know, the very, what any sensible person would do. We're like, yeah, let's go. So we went. We went with him. We went on a private bus uh, that went far inland, eventually stopping at, no joke, uh, a Mexican desert on an isolated farm, Um, I could count the cattle skulls like it was a Looney Tunes cartoon. There were, like, skulls everywhere on the desert floor. It was just me, my mate, and this one local guide. Um, And I remember turning to my friend and saying, I'm pretty sure this guy's going to sell our kidneys. (laughs) (laughs) Next minute, he brought out three quad bikes. We rode around the desert. We had an absolute blast. It was the best right? He would then take us to the beaches of Cabo where we'd snorkel. This guide was the best, right? We kept coming back to him the following days, asking him, hey, let's hang out. What do you want to do? Can, we, can you tell us where to go? What do we do? We trusted this bloke with everything. We trusted him. We asked him, where's the best taco place? We invited him to eat tacos with us. It was the best trip. Man, guides are awesome, right? Guides, I'm not going to go anywhere out anywhere without a guide. Even Bacchus Marsh, get a guide, right? <laughs> That's the thing about guides. It's built on a relationship of trust. You trust your guide in wherever they're taking you, right? For God's people, for the Israelites, for God's people, for us today, it's God who is the guide. It's a relationship of trust. The Israelites had to trust that the same God who delivered them out of bondage is the same one who's guiding them. In times of great uncertainty, notice that he's not a map that tells them exactly uh, where they'll go, at what time, when and where, but they had to completely trust in God even when they didn't know where he was leading them. And notice how God guides them a pillar of cloud and fire. One of those instances we see in the Old Testament, which theologians would describe as a God appearance, an outward display of God's inward glory a visible manifestation of his personal presence. See, as God's people today, we live on the side of history. God's people today, we live on the side of history where we don't have to wait for a pillar of of cloud and a pillar of fire to show up and guide us. But as Christians, if you're a Christian here today, we have God's presence within us, his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, it says in Romans 8 verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. See, to the Christian, this glorious presence of God, this fire of the Spirit is with us all day and night. God's presence, the Holy Spirit, guides us in seasons of uncertainty. See, maybe your season of uncertainty, uncertainty was caused by uh, the, your hidden sin being brought to light. So what the Spirit does is the Spirit convicts you calls you to repentance. He teaches you, matures you, forms you. Maybe your season of, your season of uncertainty was, uh, has you feeling worthless, rejected, despised. So the Spirit encourages you, calls you to your first love, that God loves you as seen in what Jesus has done for you. He reminds you. Again, He forms you. Maybe your season of uncertainty has you waiting for a result, an outcome, a positive news. The Spirit affirms you, directs you to find solace in the Lord. He draws you to God's word, his promises, to his truth and security. See, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. How sweet is it that the Spirit's glorious work gives us a direction in our lives that in those most uncertain seasons, we have God's presence with us, there to guide us even in the most hardest, most uncertain times. And not only is his presence made known through his spirit, but when uh, we're in communion with him, we have the Bible, God's word, we have prayer, we have Sabbath, some of which Luke explored last week as disciplines in enjoying God, all the more necessary in times of uncertainty with God's presence clear with his people in times of uncertainty. What's important is that it calls for us to be trusting. As a people of God, enjoying him in uncertainty is to trust in him. He is there. God is there. He is with you. He's forming you. He guides you. Do you trust him? Trust that whatever you're going through is part of his good purposes, that whatever the outcome, he is still present, in control, good and gracious to you, that even if things likely turn out for the worst, that you can see it as teaching and testing, that it's a time of spiritual formation. See, to the Christian I ask, do you trust that the same God who delivered you out of bondage, the bondage of sin, is trustworthy and our guide in times of uncertainty. See, unfortunately for the Israelites, they didn't. They rebelled in numerous ways, worshipped idols. They wanted to go back to bondage. In a time of potentially amazing spiritual formation, forming, the Israelites instead turned from God and lacked trust in him daily. As I said earlier, only two faithful Israelites from the generation that left Egypt would go on into the Promised Land too. The reality is, though, that it's really hard. It's hard. Could I look at the Israelites and shake my head? Sure. Like, can't believe they did that. But how often do I do the same when faced with uncertain an uncertain future, uncertain scenarios, uncertain outcomes in my life? But if we continue looking at, the Exodus narrative of the Israelites as they wandered. Chapter 16 describes how the whole Israelite community complained to their leaders, Moses and Aaron, saying they wish they died in Egypt instead of this, instead of wandering in uncertainty in this wilderness because they at least got decent food back in Egypt. Painting, again, both how extremely tough this time of uncertainty was for them, but also painting just how much of a complete lack of faith they had in God. And yet a few verses down in chapter 16, God says to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. The next morning, after much complaining, after the huge lack of faith, the next morning the Israelite camp was filled with manna, bread that appeared out of God's mercy. The people of God in no way deserve this. Completely lacking faith in the God who had and was still guiding them. Yet God, in his grace, in his mercy, would still give them this manner, what Jesus would later call this daily bread, something that keeps them going a day at a time. And that's true for us today as people of God, that in those moments of great uncertainty in your lives, God so often provides us with this manner just to get us through the day. Maybe it's that verse in the Bible, maybe it's that verse in the Word encouraging you to come to Him in thanksgiving and prayer in times of anxiety as His peace that surpasses all understanding uh, guards your heart in Christ. Or maybe it's that promise, that manner for you this day is that promise that He will one day wipe away every tear that there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain for the former has passed away. Or maybe it's that message from your gospel community leader who encourages you in your struggle with that particular sin. Maybe it's that beautiful blue sky, not right now, it's very cloudy, but maybe it's that beautiful blue sky that reminds you of that creator, of our creator and the wonder of his manner. We can give thanks. For our daily bread. See the manner God provides during those seasons of uncertainty, it it keeps us going a day at a time. For we're not even sure if tomorrow comes. But what we can be sure of is that we can enjoy God in uncertainty. Again, firstly because of who He is. Again, our creator, our sovereign, faithful, good, gracious, and good. Our lives are dependent on him. And lastly, we can enjoy God because we are his people. Again, seasons of testing and teaching, spiritually formed. He is our guide. He is trustworthy. See, Corrie ten Boom, which some of you guys may have heard of before, was a devout Christian her whole life and a sole survivor in her family. Uh, She helped save over 700 uh, Jewish lives uh, to escape the the Nazi Holocaust during uh, World War II. Um, She was arrested, uh, sent to concentration camps. For Corrie, every single day, actually you'd say every single hour, every single minute of her life was anything but certain. And yet God used her to convert countless prisoners to Christ. God used her story and it still impacts people today in them becoming Christians. And in her book, she writes, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So maybe you're here today and you don't yet know what Jesus has done for you. And yet you might be going through your own season of uncertainty today. Or maybe you do know Jesus as your Lord, yet are struggling with this, uh, the unknown of what's to come tomorrow, what's to come of next month, what's to come of next year. I don't know what kind of uncertainty you're facing here today, but I want to encourage you that we know that those who know the Lord can trust him with an unknown future. He is is indeed in control and his purpose will prevail. So let's enjoy him for who he is and who he's called us to be. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Let's pray together. Father, there are so many of us here right now who are living in seasons of uncertainty, Lord. We've just gone through a year as a city, as a state of great uncertainty, Lord, and in it all, in the struggles, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gracious reminder of who you are, that you are a God who is good. You are a God who uh, is faithful to his promises, Lord, and you have promised us in eternity with you. You have promised us that by your son, Jesus, we have everlasting joy in our Savior. Lord, we want to pray for all of us specifically that whatever we are going through, that in those moments that we can trust you as our guide, Lord, that in those moments where we feel you are so distant or we feel uh, that everything has just gone astray, that you know uh, the purposes that are good, that are your purposes more than we do, Lord, and we can trust you completely. May you continue to give us that daily bread every day to keep us going a day at a time. We love you, Lord, and we thank you so much for blessing us with this. And we pray this in your son, Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.